Hi, I'm Karen Martineau, founder of Bevival.com. Welcome to the Long Before the End podcast series. In this series, we're examining our relationship with mortality by exposing how death, the protagonist, is portrayed in classic and contemporary literature. My hope is that these discussions will bring insight to your life as well as inspire your end-of-life narrative. Picture yourself in a place where no one dies, while all around you continue to work, love, laugh, cry, live and die as is part of the normal cycle of life, you are different. You are immune to that natural cycle. You won't die. You can't die. You may get sick. You may even suffer a catastrophic accident. But in a way that seems virtually impossible to perceive, nothing kills you. Are you immortal, while all those around you remain subject to the balanced scales of life and death? Well, sort of. Seem impossible to imagine? Hi, I'm Jed Beitler. And I'm Michael Hamilton. We're your hosts for the Long Before the End podcast series. So why us? Why Jed and Michael? We're collaborators and contrarians. We're also friends, opponents and partners on the tennis court. Although we can't decide who should play the back end. That may be so. But most importantly, we have many years of experience leading companies, raising families, and experiencing the best and the worst that life can throw at you. And we have a deep love of books. We're discussing Death with Interruptions, a novella with a short story and a shorter story all wrapped together. It's fascinating, it's enriching, and it's got a cute little love story at the very end. Nobel laureate Jose Saramago has delivered a brilliant examination on death and the consequences of its presence and absence. As the story opens, people stop dying. An entire country has been granted immortality. Is that a blessing or a curse? In the end, we discover that the only condition for living is to die. Before we dive in, let's look at Saramago's body of work. He wrote fiction, but his writing was always based in reality. So his books were really parables. There was always some moral or lesson to be learned. And when he was interviewed, which was rare, and he would talk about his work, he would say, My writing is about the possibility of the impossible. What if? And he posed a very simple question in much of his work. What if? For example, in his novel Blindness, what if almost all of the residents of a city suddenly went blind? As a sidebar in my executive coaching practice, I frequently recommend this novel to my clients as one of the best business books available. The idea of being able to see, but blind to so many things around you. Also, his book The Stone Rift. What if Spain and Portugal broke off from Europe and floated into the Atlantic? The Iberian Peninsula becomes the new Atlantis. This same theme gets carried over into death with interruptions. What if no one can die? Our story begins at midnight, on the first day of the new year. No one in the country could die anymore. Initially, people celebrate this supposed conquest over mortality. But that victory is fleeting. The absence of death triggers some very unique repercussions. You know, absolutely, Jed. First of all, the family unit was shattered. The impact on the citizens, devastating. The church, the government, healthcare, insurance companies, 
the business community, all established symbols of society were turned upside down. For example, in the funeral industry, funeral directors had to go out of the country for work, and the government began to consider requiring domesticated animals to have funeral rites just to retain them in the country. We talked before about religion. What happens to both Eastern and Western philosophies in religion? In the Christian faith, if people don't die, how can there be resurrection? Or in Buddhism, there could be no rebirth, no reincarnation. There are so many interesting corollaries between the world that Saramago imagined and ours today. What if people can't die anymore is not only provocative, but also incredibly relevant to the mission of Bevival, becoming death literate. The simple concept of not dying creates a domino effect, one that our society has never envisioned. And the story is populated by a cast of nameless characters other than death herself. And we can feel their elation, exasperation, their disappointment, the entire range of human emotion. And when taken together, they paint a vivid picture of the pitfalls of immortality. It made me think about what our culture takes for granted with regard to the convention of death. We're in the present, the now, and we're moving so quickly we take everything for granted until we're hit with a disruption, or as Saramago might say, an interruption. Then we react in one of two ways. We completely ignore the experience, like it's a momentary blip on the screen of our life, or we shut down and go completely into vapor lock. On the road well-traveled, it's either a speed bump or a sign saying, danger, bridge out, road closed. We can't see or we don't want to see. Either way, it's the same outcome. And from my experience, it takes a lot of courage to observe and reflect on what's happening and it's painful at times, really painful, but the benefits are enormous. You know, programmatically, we think of life and death in three phases, the beginning, the middle, the end. We're born, we live our lives, we die. Conventional thought is that middle period, that living our lives, goes on for decades. It's only through interruptions in life, such as disease, catastrophe, war, whatever, that interrupt the concept of living a long life. You know, I'm currently reading Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. And in the foreword, Isaacson makes one observation I just can't get out of my mind. He goes through a series of qualifiers. I didn't learn this, couldn't learn that, I tried to learn this other thing, but... But what he did say, which was so seminal, I did learn from Leonardo how a desire to marvel at the world that we encounter each day can make each moment of our lives richer. If we could look at life and death from that perspective, it would be such a powerful step towards becoming death literate. Death with interruptions versus life with interruptions. Saramago asks us to challenge conventional thought and turn our assumptions upside down in two ways. Death with interruptions that disappear. What would happen if nobody died? That's externally focused. That's the impact of the individual's quality of life upon everyone else. And the implications, as you've talked about, are from the health and medical institutions, the religious institutions, the economic, the social, the moral and ethical challenges that all happen. Um, and the other one is life with interruptions. What would happen if we knew we were going to die? And instead, that's internally focused. What would you do? And those implications are psychological as well as all of the economic and social. 
So what we're really reacting to here is a historically unprecedented aging population. We've got three generations, starting with the baby boomers, 75 million people, and going down to Gen X, which is 66 million. So let's think about that. By the time 2050 rolls around, 20% of the American population is going to be over 50. By 2030, and I'm a member of the boomers anyway, you know that. So by 2030, 50 million baby boomers will have passed away. And what really I found uh, prescient was the funeral industry will surpass the technology and biomedical sectors as the leading economic engine. Well, didn't that study also show that the death of baby boomers is going to have a dramatic positive effect on national GDP? Uh, I can't speak to that because I have a certain cognitive biases. I don't want to go there. I am a boomer, <laughs> but I appreciate you bringing that up, Jeff. There you go. Well, that's good for the economy. So let's look at this. This is, you know, the collective consciousness. 20% of the American population is going to be over 50 in 2050. So when we're dealing with that, death is really lurking in plain sight. It's in mainstream conversations. We may not notice it, but it's there there. From apps where, you know, it started with mindfulness, and now the mindfulness is just preparing you in a way and, and sending you thoughts about mortality to watching late-night television. You know, Colbert the other night had Ricky Gervais on as a guest, and their entire conversation revolved around the idea of, well, what are you going to do when you die? Are you prepared for death? So it is about impermanence and mortality. Well, I think that idea of being a little more attuned as we're preparing this podcast series and hearing things that you might not otherwise have, have paid attention to, um, I think it was a recent episode of Freakonomics when uh, they were interviewing one of the developers of CRISPR, which is that uh, gene editing technology. And the idea of putting genotypic data into your Tinder profile, your, your dating profile. I mean, right now, from a biological standpoint, we put in what we call phenotypic data, your hair color, your eye color, how tall you are, what gender, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea of putting genotypic data in that same profile, if I know I've got a predisposition towards dying in 20 years because of some potential brain cancer that runs in my family, and I put that in a Tinder profile, I might have somebody go, well, I'm not sure I want to date that person if their life expectancy isn't going to be all that yeah, long. That's, that's <laughs> definitely going to narrow down the, the, uh, the database of who uh, you could be working with. Yeah. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. We hope we've piqued your interest in this book. In our next podcast, we're going to dive into one of these themes in greater depth, the quality of life versus the quality of death. Please don't hesitate to send us your thoughts, insights, questions. Tell us what you're reading. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is longbeforetheend at gmail.com. That's longbeforetheend, one word, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.